Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. Uh, we are in the year 1989. We're introducing a new segment, sort of. It's also kind of a return of an old segment we used to do. Actually, just not a segment, a show. Uh, called Comics on Infinite Earths, where we picked a very specific storyline or major event in comic history and discuss it. Well, this time we're discussing all the major events of that year. So 1989 is our first segment back. I'm your host, Michael. John's on the other side. Hey, 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 hey. Boy, you can tell I'm not feeling well because that took all the energy to say that. <laughs> uh, I came home early, everybody. I was a little sick and I just woke up. So um, I apologize if I'm a little disoriented. So uh, let's start off with uh, the independent stuff in the comic book world. Uh, not much really has happened yet. Uh, we are introducing ourselves to a ton of new labels, most which I don't remember, but the three that I do... Uh, Caliber, Continuum, and Blackthorn were kind of the guys trying to compete. Uh, it's amazing that Dark Horse is, as far as I know, the only company from this independent boom that survived. Yeah, especially... Well, it, it actually, it's not that surprising because they did kind of get smart and uh, early on because they got the Aliens, uh, the Aliens franchise, and released a bunch of those comics. So... I, they, this what was it? Uh, they had Alien. They had uh, Predator. I know that, but right. they, uh, they signed a deal with Fox, and Star Wars would come a couple years later. But they weren't the only ones. People just forget the Planet of the Apes had to come back, which was a Marvel series, and that was licensed out by some independent company. I can't remember, but it was terrible. There was Alien Nation by that same company, and neither one of them really took off. They even had a crossover <laughs> Alien Nation and Planet of the Apes, which makes no sense now. I did not know about that, but that sounds absolutely insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of companies do this now, and they were doing it then. Uh, I remember Now Comics. Do you recall that company? No, no, that one doesn't. Uh, I might recognize uh, something that they released, but as a uh, as a company itself, no, I uh, that doesn't ring a bell. The only independent thing that they created themselves that was successful in any way was Ralph Snart. But they had licensed Ghostbusters, Married with Children was a comic book series, Fright Night, Terminator, um, Green Hornet. There's a few others, but that was like their big thing was licensing out. They were trying to do what Dark Horse was doing, but I think they overspent and they on the licenses and just created shit art. And that just killed them. Oh, well, uh, that, that's, that is all, that's always the issue with the indie comics for most of them, most you know, long for a very long time was the art. I've never liked the art in some things. Like you're talking about some indie things. You know, James Wabar's The Crow came out. You know, was debuted this year, and I've never been able to get into that series. I love the movie. Yeah, and and we've spoken about those on on a, another podcast. Uh, but I've never liked any of the comics. You know, like. And I always kind of jump in, you know, anytime I can find, like, a, you know, like a trade or something like that, I'll, I'll jump in and read some. And then I always just kind of go, oh, this was a mistake. Yeah, the biggest problem is unless it is done, uh, the art and writing is by the same guy, you are rarely ever going to see a good independent comic from this time period because either they paid a lot for the writer, they paid a lot for the license, or they paid a lot for the artist. And they just don't match up. I mean, Image Comics, which we discussed in a few uh, episodes is the king of that. Oh, you got this amazing artist. Oh, you're letting him write. Did you see if he could write first? Oh, he, he, it's self-published, so it doesn't matter. And that was a big curse. And they were really, really late. 
Whereas the independent comics, I'll say this, at least they were on time, even if it was subpar. Well, of course, that's that's always the thing is, especially with Image, you know, a couple of strong, you know, strong people, and then you also had Rob Liefeld. Yeah. <laughs> um, over in DC Comics, we have the introduction of two imprints, Piranha Press, which I don't remember at all. I remember the name, but I don't remember what they did. But the big one was Elseworlds, which would go on for quite some time. I don't think they do Elseworlds anymore. I haven't paid attention to DC Comics in a while with their new stuff. They stopped doing Elseworlds, right? Yeah, to, to my knowledge, they did. But it, for really, Elseworlds, I, as I recall, it, star, it, it was never especially no, named that until, God, what was it, the 90s? Uh, well, the first, had... the first one that actually carried that name was in 89 with Gotham by Gaslight. Well, I know. Uh, I'm trying Wait. to think, because I, because I, well, because I remember them referring to a, they had a whole series of these annuals in the '90s that were labeled Elseworlds. I kind of want to say that it didn't Gotham by Gaslight just get released as its own thing? Maybe. Maybe it made the concept that it got introduced. I can't remember. I read that comic in forever, but I. It's funny, is you know what? I don't think that they had that logo and that name like we know now. Like, they remember they had the little certain icon underneath Elseworlds. And oh, yeah. that was, like, common for that. I feel like it was trying to make up for the fact that we no longer had, you know, Earth 2 and all the alternate universes that we had known for DC before Crisis. Yeah, because that was, what, Crisis on Infinite Earths? That was 87, wasn't it? Uh, 86. 86. Yeah, I have yeah, it actually sitting right next to me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because, like, shortly thereafter, they relaunched, like, Superman with Man of Steel right. and all that, so... Yeah, yeah, it's like they had completely erased all this stuff and just condensed everything into a singular universe. So yeah, you had, if you're going to tell any kind of alternate stories, yeah, they, effectively they decided to, you know, I don't, like I said, I think it was, I think Gotham by Gaslight is a retro, is a retro thing. Right, steampunk, even, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not saying, not, not those steampunks, yeah, yeah, it's a steampunk, it was a uh, guy who did Hellboy's uh, jam, wasn't it? Um, might have been Magnola. I can't remember now. I haven't read it in so long. It's like I'm pretty sure it was because I, I seem to remember that it it, be, it having his art style. I don't necessarily know if he wrote it or not. It again, it's been a while since I've, I've read. I'm too that lazy too. to look it up. Fine, I'll go look it up. <laughs> but but like I said, I I think retros, you know retroactively, I think it was labeled Elseworlds. I think I want to say Elseworlds came later. Because then there's there's all sorts of uh, stories that are now under that imprint, like the nail. I think is yeah. Know, that's a really good series. series. Um, yeah, the it says one, Magnola. Yeah, yeah. I want to say it's the first. The first nail is amazing. I think the second one, yeah. But God, those when, when we get when we get to those that year, I definitely would love to talk about some of those annuals. Yeah, I have both of the the nail miniseries. Um, trying to think there was another one where they strip them of all their powers and only the technology guys are left the problem is they're severely outweighed by the technology bad guys and it's just a brutal battle to the end yeah it's like and i think there was like a uh there was a couple of them where it's like oh yeah uh, re revisiting an old idea from like the 
like the golden age of yeah. Silver comics where it was, oh, here's Superman 2 and, you know, and Batman 2 and all that stuff. Yeah. I think like and that. I remember Red Sun was a huge one where what if uh, Superman landed in Russia instead of America? So Elseworlds held on for a really long time. Piranha Press, you got me. I'm guessing it's like their super independent label before like Vertigo took over. Yeah, well, well, Vertigo. Yeah, actually, you're right. Vertigo didn't didn't necessarily appear because there is there's one series that I know of. I I, I know it debuted that year that I associate with Vertigo, but yeah, I don't think it actually. I don't believe it started as Vertigo. The uh, the big event of the year over in DC was Invasion. Uh, we did an episode of Comics on Infinite about that really early in the beginning about. Just an alien race coming to our planet and taking over, and they're fighting. And but they introduced the concept of a metagene, which in a way was like some fine line between what Marvel was doing with the mutant gene, that you were just kind of born with it. Uh, it was like a cosmic choice in the DC universe of who could and who couldn't get powers, triggered by certain events. It, I think they've ditched the idea now, but it, at the time it was kind of like, oh, well, you're trying to make this make sense. Well, it, it, that actually kind of sounds like a cross between the X gene, but also a little bit of uh, the inhuman, you know, thing with the Terrigen Mist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's, you have to have it inside you, and then whatever, you know, whatever happens, activates it. Because I would assume that's why, you know, getting struck by lightning and dou- after being doused with chemicals turns right. Barry Allen into the Flash, where none of that... I don't, I don't give a shit about your fake science. None of that would have caused him to turn into the Flash. And uh, the next thing is Grant Morrison really breaks through this year with taking B-level, or no, it's not B-level, I'm, giving, I'm being generous, probably C or D-level characters, uh, Animal Man and Doom Patrol, uh, debuting with those two series, and those basically made his name of taking, like, kind of cheesy old-school characters and really juicing them up with crazy ideas and and lots of wonderful characters oh man the animal man run is amazing i i love love that series uh it i kind of came to it somewhat backwards though because i had first read uh stuff from the uh jeff lemire uh animal man series from the new 52 yeah and that kind of intrigued me because I'd, I'd heard about how great uh, the uh, Animal Man Grant Morrison run was and I go, okay, I'll give this chance. Grant Morrison for me is kind of hit or miss because he gets out there and, I mean, the man will swing for the fences and when it works I think it, you know, like well, at least when it works for me, it's you know 100% amazing. When it doesn't work, it is the most un, you know, unintelligible garbage. Yeah, why the ever. same thing? Not with Alan Moore, but um, damn it, who's the other guy that's like Alan Moore that now everybody hates because Brian well, is a huge oh, sexist? Warren, uh, Warren, Warren Ellis. Ellis. Yeah, they both have these huge ideas and if I can't connect, I'm done. But if I can, oh, I might in for luck. Yeah, and that's it's like I've tried to read his Doom Patrol and I don't hate it, but I can't, I've never been able to really get connected yeah the tv series really is the only accessible version for the general public it took a 60s kind of a camp series uh and you know grant morrison made it more high-minded i think if it wasn't for the critically acclaimed run that he does on this 
we don't get the TV show because the following Doom Patrol runs, no one remembers. No one gives a shit about. It. It's the same thing like with Swamp Thing. No one remembers after Alan Moore really left. Well, I I, I don't know. I I've heard good things about the Gerard Way Doom Patrol series. Oh, okay. I, I have not. I haven't so far out of it. Wait, Gerard Way is that the guy from My Chemical Romance? Yeah. Okay. I'm sold. I'll read it. I'll read it then. Yeah, it's. I've, I've heard lots of praise for that. So, it. You know, it's probably good. But yeah, it's like I, I can see what you mean. Where it's like, it's definitely a grouping of characters that, if not done right, is def would never work. You know, you you would not. You really it really takes a fine hand to craft like the surrealness of those characters together. Yeah. Um, we have the debut of Legends of the Dark Knight. Why? Because 89 is the year of Batman. We all lost our fucking minds. Um, Batman was everywhere. You know that one specific logo. You see it, you know it's from the Tim Burton movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, God, I know I've read some of these, but it's like... Legends of the Dark Knight was the uh, like like self-contained stories right it was an anthology that bounced around in his timeline so that they weren't stuck to whatever was going on which would eventually i believe would fail like towards the end when the sales were sucking they started incorporating into the uh uh regular batman universe and i think eventually it got shut down and turned to shadow of the bat um my 12 year old brain was not ready for this sophisticated more mature storytelling and i think they aimed it incorrectly i think they should have focused on saying you know, this is more of a, you know, like a mature line, a vertigo line. Um, since then, they should have because it doesn't take place in the normal DC universe the way that we were, you know, the continuity. And I feel like if they had pitched it as, an, you know, more of a direct market instead of, oh, I found my copy in the grocery store, you know, that kind of thing, I think it would have done better. Yeah, because the first, wasn't the first arc like the the one with uh, Venom, with uh, with the drug? Um, that, no, that Shaman. A- uh, Shaman? Shaman? Um, Shaman, I think is how you say it. Um, no, Venom wouldn't be for a long time, I don't think. Uh, Shaman, it was just uh, more uh, more like what Grant Morrison was doing, you know? It was just very sophisticated, and I just remember, like, it was plastic sealed, it had a poster inside of it, and I always remember the back cover was the movie Shocker advertisement, <laughs> but I just didn't get into it. I never bought another issue of it. Uh, yeah, see, uh, obviously I've not read too many of those. <laughs> it's like, I, I at least... I guess I'm at least happy that I got one of the issues or one one of the storylines correct from it and not uh, just, oh, no, no, that was just Detective Comics or whatever. Yeah. Um, and 89 is the reason why I got back in comics. Uh, I mean, 89, not, sorry, Batman's 89. Oh, my God, let me try that again. 89's Batman is the reason why I got back into comics. Uh, this is when I started reading uh, the story of the many deaths of Batman, one of the first storylines that really took place after the death of Robin, uh, the, the death in the family. And it really sucked me in, and I started reading Spider-Man again. If it wasn't for that movie, I don't know where I'd be with comic books. And uh, I saw that movie three times. That's the most I've ever seen any movie in the theater. Well, it's like, I guess, I guess if that's the case, the... You know, Tim Drake Robin didn't debut this year, did he? Did, he did at the very, very end. Okay. Because okay. after many deaths of Batman, we have Lonely Place of Dying, which is really dealing with the uh, the fallout from Jason Todd's death. And 
Tim Drake's saying, you know, Batman's losing it. He can't, uh, he needs someone else to balance him out. And then he needs a Robin and Batman wants nothing to do with it. And they take on Two-Face. And this is before he really becomes Robin that we know. He jumps into the old costume and helps save the day. But then Batman wants nothing to do with it. But Nightwing convinces him to at least, you know, lead him into some positive path. Yeah, Tim Drake's always kind of been my Robin. Oh, like, same here. I mean, always. It's like it's like yeah, I didn't really start reading Bat like Batman in as as my own thing. It's like did I did read some Batman because my dad had like a, had some uh, collections that had various uh, comics of Batman and Superman from like the fifty. Actually, yeah, from the 50s, my dad had the same thing where they like digest sized like the little tiny ones. Oh no, no, it's huge, huge. Really? Uh, okay. Huge full book, you know thing. Uh, from like uh, stories from like the 30s all the way to the 70s. Okay. And so at each one, so you can kind of see how how these uh, stories evolved over time. And so it's like, yeah, I knew a lot of uh, of you know original Robin Nightwing, but uh, yeah, it wasn't until I started reading these comics for my own that yeah, was Tim Drake was Robin, and I always kind of connected with him because he. It always seemed like he was going to be the best person to become Batman. Right. Uh, and it wasn't born out of tragedy the way that Dick was. And Jason was always kind of a broken kid who was difficult to control, whereas Tim turned out to be just such a beacon of hope and you know control. And, as, as, and by this time, Batman's really starting to fry. Everything that everybody loves about Batman now, I can't stand. That he's basically a sociopath who pretends to be Bruce Wayne. And I don't know. It just, it doesn't seem like something I'm interested. I'm more interested in Batman's family around him. And uh, it, as we record this, the entire comic book world that's shitty is losing their fucking mind because Tim Drake's bisexual. Oh no, that ruins him as a superhero forever. I'm never buying your comics again. I am shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Okay, not that shocked. Yeah. It, Come on. It. He's. You know what? One. If you you know if you really care that much about it, then don't read it. Yeah. It's very you know if you have to be a shitty human being, you can't accept that a character can be bisexual. You can stop reading. Yeah. Do the also, you have thirty years worth of the comics to go back and visit before. <laughs> yeah, and and here's the thing: it for all you know, that was a plan you know from the start that like many of the many of the X characters. Who are who are coded very gay or bisexual for a very long time? Yeah, and you just didn't realize it because you were a dumb child. I can see someone typing right now. Everybody knows that Tim Drake's all about the pussy. What is this bullshit? I'm not reading the comics anymore. Your woke bullshit is ruining comic books forever. Yeah, I'll still read them. I buy floppies every every week. So or every week that something good comes out. I haven't bought a single issue in forever. <laughs> uh, I just I can't do that. I can't do that 15 minutes of a television show and then wait a month for the next 15 minutes. I need the whole shebang. Oh, that's that's where all the fun lies. I know. Especially when you get those when you get those cliffhangers and it's like well, I, I'm still I will say this. I'm still pissed off that I've been waiting like 3 years now. Actually, I think more than that. I could be wrong, but at least 3 years for the return of Saga. Because they left you on a hell of a cliffhanger. Are you serious? It's been that long since we did that episode. Wow. No, I think no. I think we did it. Uh, we did it while it was still. Uh, oh yeah. Like 
early on in the earlier on in that, but but still, yeah, they it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna take like two year break. Yeah, but that is and a torturous thing, especially with indie comics. I mean, I don't I still don't even know if Battle Chasers is done. I have no clue. I don't know. Yeah, I would have to look that up. Um, so the other uh, things I want to mention before we move on to Marvel is this is the premiere of Emerald Dawn. This is another one that I started buying immediately. Um, no, no, let me correct myself. I missed the first miniseries. It was the next year when I started collecting Emerald Dawn 2. And this kind of goes back to the early days of Hal Jordan and uh, kind of overhauls his origin before we launch into his new series um, where he's much older. And I think it's fantastic. I've, there's an artist named M.D. Bright who at the time was a rising star. Uh, he would do, I think this is his first real big thing. He would do G.I. Joe, I think, at the same time. And um, his big thing was Quantum and Woody, which would come a decade later. And then he just quit. He uh, started doing Christian comics. And I'm not reading those. I'm sorry. I'm not going to. <laughs> I I know I've read some of the Quantum and Woody stuff. I I like the premise, but I've I've never really liked it. Yeah, like it's, not, but I not, love his art. He he has the kind of faces the way that uh, Kevin McGuire on Justice League International would do. Um, very expressive, very fun to look at. Yeah, it's it very interesting. But that's yeah, it interesting art. Like I said, and a great and like I said, the concept was fun, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, we have Hawkworld debuting, and this is yet another reiteration of the whole Hawkman. I, I don't know what they're even doing. I feel like every few years, they did this with Aquaman forever, too, before they figured out what to do with them. Uh, this isn't working. Let's reboot everything. But this time, instead of going with the uh, Earthbound uh, Carter Hall, we go to the planet of the Hawk people. And it's more like a space cop kind of thing. And it was really critically acclaimed. I've read it. It's fine. Um, I want to say it's Ostrander, the creator of Suicide Squad, and Tim Truman that did the artwork on it. And um, it's kind of said they ditched a lot of what that was doing, but they still, like, uh, I feel like with the big event with, what was that, Adam Strange and Green Lantern, where they were fighting, I even have on the books, but they, they brought Hawkworld into it, where it's big interlock, intergalactic battle. Oh, it's like, it's like the Rand Thanagar War Thank you, that's like what that. it was. Yeah, and I believe the Hawkworld thing was reintroduced after New 52, where they made it possible that Carter Hall was from this planet, but when he died and was reborn, he found himself on Earth or something like that. I, don't get, I get confused along the way. Yeah, I, I could never follow the ha- the Hawkman, Hawkgirl uh, Yeah, because their story. armor is like Thangarian from their world, so it's magical or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's like they're... They're aliens, but they're reborn as humans, but they're still also aliens, but... And they have wings, except when they don't, and they need to wear harnesses that have... (laughs) Yeah. It's the one character DC has never really solidified. Even during that uh, Jeff Johns run, which is fantastic. I think it's the best Hawkman's ever been written. It still feels like they're constantly like, well, let's bring back some of that old nonsense that we threw away in the first place to make it make more... Yeah, that's the problem with DC with their constant reboots. Yeah, I that's I think that's always kind of why I'm a little bit more of a Marvel guy is even as much as Marvel will kind of reboot their own characters on occasion, they it's usually fairly soft reboots. It just becomes new status quo shifts as opposed to 
okay, we're just dropping everything. Forget what you knew. Here yeah, it is then. Yeah, or they'll introduce a new character like they did with uh, Danny Ketch. You know, uh, uh, Johnny Blaze still exists, but this is a new Ghost Rider. So that they don't erase that timeline, but they create a new one or whatever. Yeah, and it's it's still the old ones are still just valid, and those characters will pop up every now and then. All right, so the final DC entry is Justice League International is a critically acclaimed, solid seller. Uh, but they decide that they're going to split it up. Uh, they're going to change the title back to Justice League America, but they introduce a second team, so they're no longer international. Now Justice League Europe, drawn by Bart Sears and the same writing team as Justice League International, and it's a lot of fun. It's just not as good, I think, because I don't really care for the Europe team the way I do for the American team. And that's because I'm uh, America First racist. That's it. I knew it. This whole yeah, time. I don't think I've ever read any of those. If I remember correctly, it's Metamorpho, Power Girl, um, Flash, Wonder Woman, uh, Elongated Man, Animal Man, um, Captain Adam, I think. Yeah, that's that's the team. And they're just not as appealing as the goofballs over in uh, Justice League America. Yeah, because... By that by that time, wasn't that the Justice League that was the like Blue Beetle? Right, yeah, it's Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Guy Gardner. I mean, they're right there. You got your solid three. Uh, we have um, Fire and Ice, Fire and Ice, and then Batman, Captain Marvel, uh, Martian Manhunter, and and I want to say, um, wait, I, th- I can't remember if. Uh, oh wait, didn't the, I think wasn't it that it was was Martian Manhunter uh, gone and then replaced by Blood? Stone or whatever. No, that was much later. That oh. was that was during the time right before uh, Doomsday. So yeah, that would be a that, few years off. Yeah, I know. I know that was in that that character was in with the Doomsday stuff, but it was still Martian Manhunter. Just on. Oh just yes, you're correct. I remember that now when they finally reveal. Um, there's a character I'm missing from the Justice League Europe, and I can't remember the name, but it's the Russian armored guy. Colossus? No, no, that's that's Marvel. <laughs> no, it's like Rocket Red or something like that. He was part of it, and then there was like uh, some f- a, a female one that was dressed like a. Um, you know what? Hold on. You oh, go ahead. Maxima. Were you thinking of Maxima? I remember Maxima, but there was one that she dressed like a. Her name was like she was French and she looked like a giant squirrel or something. I can't remember. Uh, I don't. Know. It's been so long since I read it, but uh, that is it for the DC Universe stuff. On to Marvel. Actually, I'm going to give you one more DC because it was not mentioned. What? The Sandman. Oh, is this Neil the Gaiman's, debut? Yeah, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, which wasn't... I, I looked that up, and apparently it wasn't part of Vertigo until, uh, until like, what, Vertigo's 93 or something? Okay. But, but, like, the first couple of issues, you know, first little while of it, it was just, like, I don't know, DC Presents or something like that. But it was... Yeah, Neil Gaiman's series started in 89. And... It is phenomenal. It's about uh, well, it's a, it's a heavy concept. Where uh, if I remember what the elevator pitch is, it's effectively the Lord of Dreams has to uh, learn to grow, or else uh, he will die, or something to that effect. And it's effectively about the about Dream, who is not just the Lord of the Realm of Dreams; he is the very aspect of our collective unconsciousness and he ends ends up having to go through all, a sort, all these sorts of trials after uh, getting kidnapped uh, on accident uh, for 70 something years and 
you know, in that time, his his realm has collapsed. He's uh, his some of his art, major artifacts are stolen from him. He has to go and recollect these things, and then ultimately has to go and seek out some of the escaped nightmares and uh, try to reconsolidate his power. But in doing so, it ultimately does lead to his uh, ultimate destruction. Or does it? Because yeah. these these are abstract concepts and yeah. made made human. And it's it's a phenomenal series. Uh, certainly has my favorite take on Death, who is this kind of kind of cute, fun goth girl. Who uh, it, when I go, that is who I want to have. <laughs> not 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 because she's drawn as an attractive person, but. She seems very nice. It's not not this sullen grim reaper, you know, asshole who's you know going to take your soul to you know to the next planet. It's kind of like, come on, let's go, you know, or you know, might have a joke with you or something, you know, have empathy for your plight. It's like a nice, you know, it's like someone that you want to have on your side. Um, real quickly, Crimson Fox was the character that was part of the, not the original, but she was part of Justice League Europe, and she died pretty quickly, so I guess it doesn't matter, because she wasn't part of the original team, so I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> but, but okay. Oh, no, I forgot one thing. I didn't write it down. I just remembered, because you said Sandman. Shadow Strikes debuts, which is finally taking the character back to his original origins in the 1930s, because Bill Senkowitz had taken it in 1987 and made it hip and updated in the 80s or whatever. Everybody had huge shoulder pads. And it was critically acclaimed but not well received by the fans of Shadow. So DC ended that and introduced Shadow Strikes, which is a good old-fashioned pulpy um, uh, punch. You know, it is classic fighting style in the 30s. Uh, and it was more successful with the fans, but it uh, eventually died off after three years. How did you pronounce Bill, uh, Bill Senkowitz's last name? Senkowitz? So how- yeah, Zinkevich. Oh, fuck. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm a Philistine. I like to feel. Uh, well, go that's ahead. Okay. It's, well, it's okay. It's like if you've never heard it spoken aloud. Yeah. Believe me, I've only, only know because I've heard it spoken aloud, you know, last two years or so. I'm glad I didn't <laughs> introduce him on stage. Now coming to the stage, and then he Boo! <laughs> Get off the stage, loser! All right, sorry. Now, finally, we are going to Marvel Comics, and I'll shut my pie hole until it's my turn. All right. Okay, I guess I'll go with the the biggest uh, massive headache-inducing thing, Inferno. (laughs) (laughs) Which was huge for me because I I only read the the Spider-Man version of it. Well, that's just it. It's like it actually does start in 88, but it – took a good chunk of 89 too uh it an event that basically spanned all the x books at the time uh basically it in which this hell the hellish dimension of limbo kind of starts to take over new york uh there's two main uh storylines that go with this uh the first one is in new mutants which follows uh magic iliana rasputin who's the current ruler of limbo she's trying to take back her uh her realm because it's starting to be, uh, her minions have gotten taken over by this uh, tech organic virus. Don't ask. <laughs> and these, they're trying. You know, they've been usurping her power, and with this, uh, with this uh, virus, they're now, you know, a much more dangerous threat to her. So they have the new minions get together, and they're taking, you know, fighting her. 
and it ends up resulting in uh, Ileana Rasputin being regressed back to the seven-year-old child that she was yeah. before she got kidnapped by the demons in hell in one, literally in one panel of the comic, and then returned as a teenage girl in the next. So we now get this reverse where she's been this teenager for the last you know couple of years. Now she's back to being a set, like a seven-year-old child, and all of the uh, things that like this traumatic childhood that she ended up enduring has now uh, been effectively erased. So, yay! <laughs> um, I feel like that was a... This, I'm pretty sure this is when Hobgoblin made a deal with... Um, God, what was his name? Snide or something like that? The... Oh, uh, oh, there's Nastier and... I don't think Belasco was doing anything in that. I'm trying to think of some of the other characters, but... Uh, but it was Madeline Pryor, too. right? Oh yeah, yeah. Madeline Pryor's was the main villain from the other half yeah. of the arc. And there was Mister Sinister. Uh, but there's somebody else. Whatever. He made a deal uh, to become a real, like get real powers, whatever. So uh, he got turned into a real demon, and that would run for quite some time. His storyline is kind of confusing, but I remember that being a big deal in uh, the Spider-Man universe. Is now that he was incredibly powerful. Now he didn't need gadgets and his costume anymore. He was a real monster. Yeah, well, it's like I think also somewhere around there, the Demo Goblin also like ended up appearing. Yeah, you're right. Like, I remember that. Yeah, because well, I think that was maybe that in, it was from that event because maybe it was also because there's the uh, Spider-Man doppelganger that uh, had like the the weird you know insect eyes and razor claws. No, yeah, razor. yeah, okay, and like four arms, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think I think that might have might have came out of Inferno as well. I could be wrong, but you know, I think I want to say that that happened. But uh, yeah, as, as you kind of preluded, uh, over in X Factor and Uncanny X Men, you had Madeline Pryor, wife of Cyclops, mother of Baby Cable. Uh, she ends up discovering that she is not only a clone of Dream, uh, Jean Grey, but she ends up losing her mind. Uh, the, you know makes a deal with these demons, becomes the Goblin Queen, and tries to bring hell on Earth by stealing and trying to sacrifice babies, including Baby Cable. And uh, this brings these two, the two X-teams together because at this time, everyone actually thinks that the, um, that the X-Men, the Uncanny X-Men, are dead because during the fall of the mutants, there was a big fight with a demon uh, entity, and it resulted in them being killed but then they got resurrected and given the chance to you know keep fighting and they kind of get cloaked from uh, all electronic things it's like one of the boons that they're given for their service god that's a lot of stuff yep continuity this is continuity. this is the last storyline my friend ken read before he completely quit comics <laughs> oh my god well this has led to what's referred to as the outback era where they're, they're oh right this. fuck i forgot about that they they taken over a, a, a reaver base in the outback, and they're basically running, uh, you know, uh, black ops out of out of that location. I did not like that time period of X Men, but I remember that being huge for some reason. Yeah, so the two teams eventually get together. They find they finally realize, oh shit, they're not dead, and uh, it's like, how dare you not pick up a phone and call us? Can't you see we're X Factor? We're pretty damn noticeable. You can, X Men, you could have called us. Yeah. But uh, 
you know, it's, they eventually do stop and kill Madeline Pryor. Uh, yeah, Mr. Sinister is a big, big character in this because he's all about the clones and he's trying to create, well, did sit out because he wanted to create, effectively create Cable. So he cloned, you know, cloned a perfect thing, perfect uh, clone of uh, Jean Grey to do that. Mm-hmm. And, but it all kind of went bad for him. Because I think he also get he dies in this arc, if I remember right. He's like blown apart by Cyclops. Maybe. But, this is when we get Archangel, again, right? Oh, Archangel. Archangel's been around at this point for a was while. Was that during that was, Fall? Fall of the Mutants? Yeah, that was oh. Fall of the Mutants where he got, got his wings amputated. Yeah, but when did he... Well, re- no, sorry, no. I'm sorry, no. That was Mutant Massacre was the uh, arm, was the wings. Fall of the Mutants involved him, but he was on a different thing. I think he kills Cameron Hodge during that. Okay. It's so confusing the timelines. I yeah, can't it's... I try, trying to remember, because there's... At this point, they've... Almost every year, there's like a new X, you know, X crossover. So yeah. It's, so it's hard to remember every event all the time. But eventually, yeah, the X-Men win. Everyone kind of goes off their, se- their separate ways. But the other uh, team Excalibur does tie into this kind of uh, you have Rachel Gray who's Cyclops and Jean Gray's daughter from the uh, alternate future uh, the ah, they, they did an X-Men movie about it Fu- Days of Future Past uh-huh. she's the their daughter in that who is a little distraught by the fact that uh, there's a baby that uh, her father has had and it's not a girl and it's with another woman because mom is dead, to her knowledge. So, well, for a while. So, <laughs> she doesn't technically exist, <laughs> but uh, she gets a little psychic blast that her uh, that cables in danger. But she, you know, quickly rushes off to New York, and then almost gets married to a demon. Oh, nice! And that's pretty much their entire thing. Is just they get to New York. And they get really sidetracked because it's Excalibur, and Excalibur is weird and goofy and fun. And speaking of that, Excalibur, their uh, epic time uh, cross time caper begins at the end of the year. And I we did a uh, my fiance and I did a episode for Comics on Infinite Earth about this. So if you want to hear the whole story, check that out. But effect basically while escaping a Nazi controlled reality, the team ends up stuck. Uh, in a uh, tr- uh, dragon-powered train, going across a multitude of different uh, alternate realities, and it is goofy and fun and wildly uneven at times. But uh, watching Nightcrawler get laid is probably one of the highlights of the whole thing. <laughs> oh boy! Well, that and the uh, the opening arc in which uh, you have. Print. I forget which prince it was now, but one of the British princes is a uh, he's a he's a medieval knight, but he's carrying a walkman. He's got he's rocking shades. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I really liked Excalibur. It was it was a little too weird for me, but I love that cast. I think Captain Britain. It's really his only shining moment for a very long time. Well, it's like Claremont and Alan Davis knew what to do with with Captain Britain. Was you take this take this character who is a you know, kind of a dick, and you know, you could basically it's like you know, 
even though he's a scientist and everyone forgets that part of it, he's a fucking meathead. Yeah. And, you know, kind of seems like, you know, he's perfectly willing to punch his way out of any problem. So what do they do? Every single moment they can, they lay him flat. They always have <laughs> someone there being the shit out of him to kind of like, oh yeah, by the way, it's not going to just be brute force that, that solves this thing. Uh, do you prefer his old costume where his hair stuck out and he had that rod? Or do you like his more, you know, the more Captain America style costume? I kind of prefer the little more Captain America style costume. There's like, something goofy just, about his old one I like. Yeah. Well, he's got that weird, not, it's not so much a face mask, it just looks like a veil over his face. Yeah. But I it looks know. just like the Captain Canuck costume. And that's super obscure if you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but <laughs> it's almost a replica of that one. All right. So, so last last little things for X, the world of X Men. Uh, we have in Uncanny two forty four. Uh, we have the introduction of Jubilee, the girl who can shoot colorful micro explosions from her fingers. Unlike Polka Dot Man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. This is also as we as are told as I said uh, the Outback era. It actually comes to an end because the Reavers, the cyborg mercenaries, uh, finally try to reclaim their base and. Uh, Pretty much everybody has to escape because uh, they're kicking the shit out of them. Yeah, like Wolverine gets gets crucified. Uh, I remember but, being scared of these guys. I, I'm, this is a this is a much darker era than I remember it being. But um, there was like you know the brood and and there's something really strange, especially with Mark Silvestri's art on this. The way he draws the Reavers makes them terrifying. There's some kind of weird Mad Max inhuman disease kind of you know because they're hybrid people and it's. Uh, yeah. Well, there's also goop. It was like a lot of them are kind of creepy looking, but you also have the guy who's like half tank. Yeah, that yeah. I, that bothered me for some reason. It reminded what's that movie where the guy's half he he rides around? Um, oh shit! It's an old full moon, not full moon. Um, Eliminators. Do you remember this movie? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, it was an '86 uh, movie, not from Full Moon. It's the company they had before that, but uh, uh, I'll remember one day. Um, but the guy rides around in a tank because his body's cybernetic. It's almost as the, uh, Chris Claremont saw that movie. He's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Oh, wouldn't... Well, yeah, I'm about to say, like, wait, Claremont was... No, yeah, Claremont was still... still yeah, he was on it for a long-ass time. Yeah. But it's, uh, they... It ends up they go through uh, one of the other boons that they got from Roma, the daughter of Merlin, uh, who all this stuff is kind of her thing. They get a thing called the Siege Perilous. Basically, it's this gem that becomes a gateway, and when you step through it, it effectively kind of changes who you are. You know, rewrite your identity, uh, and most of the people kind of get their identities, you know, changed up a little bit. Nothing really happens to Dazzler. She just kind of goes through and, be, and is still Dazzler. Uh, but Storm becomes a teen girl, and Psylocke, through uh, Mojo and... Jim Lee becoming an art, becoming the artist, and really wanting to draw a hot ninja lady. Hmm. Salak becomes an Asian woman, and I'll take that version. Honestly, I'll take that version. It's it's awesome, but it you know it's like because that's kind of how I've always seen her. You know, because when I kind of start picking up comics, was, yeah, I saw her when she was fluffy and boring. So, well, by that. By that point, you know, by the Siege Perilous things, she was a much tougher fighter. It's just, yeah, uh, Jim Lee wanted to draw a hot, hot ninja lady. So, you know, Psylocke becomes and the assassin for uh, 
oh god, was it the Mandarin for a, for a moment, and then they try to explain it by brain swap with uh, a, an, an assassin named Quanin who ends up with some of Betsy Braddock's memories, and it's very confusing, and then they just killed off Quanin. And uh, now now she's back, and she's and she's officially Psylocke, while Betsy Braddock is Captain Britain. Oh, she took over. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, uh, it's the the new the new current uh, uh, Excalibur run has her taking over as Captain Britain. Okay. Let's see. Oh, actually, there's one more X Men. Uh, Wolverine number ten. And it's uh, Claremont with uh, John. Bus- ah, I'm terrible with names. I can say Sinkevich, but I can't say. Was it Bushima? Bushima. I don't know. Bushima. Yeah, uh, but it's one of the most iconic Wolverine stories, where it's uh, the death of Silver Fox by Sabretooth's hands uh, on Lo- on Logan's birthday, which then it leads to this huge fight between the two, and this, and then it's also while this is happening, on, it's like it's Wolverine's birthday in present at present day, and he's in Madripoor and he's you know looking for something, looking for these guys who are doing some bad stuff, and he comes across them killed by Sabretooth who's basically just kind of going, I'm the only one allowed to kill you on this day. So you have this entire one little story that sets up an entire chain in which effectively every year on Wolverine's birthday, Sabretooth comes in to fuck him up. (laughs) Tradition. It's just what he does every year is I'm going to go and and mess up something in Wolverine's life. I'm going to either directly fight him or I'm going to mess up whatever it is that he's doing. Whatever it is, this is the day I'm going to fuck with your life. M- more than usual. Yeah. <laughs> now, we had the Axe of Vengeance. Oh, God, do I love this? I even have the the trade of it somewhere around here. Yeah, which it's it is a crossover event, but it's not really a crossover event. Because uh, uh, Loki hatches this plan to defeat all the heroes by getting... Uh, them effectively to fight villains that they don't normally fight. And, of course, it fails. But it, instead of really being a crossover, it's more of just kind of like a state of the Marvel Universe for a little while. Yeah. It shows up in a whole bunch of issues, uh, and they don't necessarily relate too much. It's just kind of like, hey, here's an interesting idea. Let's have instead of uh, you know Fantastic Four fighting Doctor Doom Doctor Doom shows up in an issue of Power Pack that's the weirdest yeah I remember like they did they threw the controller into Captain America he never fought him before uh, so the thing is is what it, uh, trying to mix up the villains because by then Spider-Man had known all of his villains weaknesses and he was easy to defeat them whatever but they change it up they give him other people's villains like they gave him um uh, Titania, I think, is one of them. Uh, the Wizard, uh, Giant, not Giant Man, Goliath. You know, guys that he had never fought before. But in his storyline, they gave him the Captain Universe powers, which pop up like once a decade or something in the Marvel Universe, and he became cosmic, and he just eliminates all of them so quickly. And uh, Magneto wants to know if he's a mutant because his powers are changing suddenly, and he goes to test him by getting uh, the Tri Sentinel. He take he takes three Sentinels and combines them into one, 
and has him fight it. And he's like, nah, there's no way that he could possibly have uh, uh, this many powers all at once. It's usually just one instead of like five or six new powers and leaves him alone. But there's a moment where he really thought that he was a... Uh, he actually fought Spider-Man for a while too, which is interesting. Well, yeah. It, Spider-Man's always kind of been tied to the idea of being a mutant, even though, you know, it's the radioactive power thing. Right. Because so they, so they had like a whole... Uh, uh, mutagenic crisis thing or something like that with uh, with Beast of the X Men, or am I just thinking of the cart? Uh, well, I know it was a series, but am I just thinking of the cartoon? I can't remember. Beast? Anyway, but yeah, it, and that's the thing. It's like I, there's, well, actually, I'll just talk about it uh, right now. Damage Control, which uh, had two mini series that came out, both by Dwayne McDuffie. Uh, it follows a, the people who deal with the cleanup after superhero battles, and it's a comedy series. There's you know not there's a little bit of you know I don't want to say espionage, but uh, it it's more like a bureaucratic like Agents of Shield right. story, but with a lot more humor. And they tried to do and, a pilot for this, but. NBC had beat them to the punch and created a series that was very similar plot-wise. I can't remember the name of it, though. It had Alan Tudyk in it. Yeah, I, I know that. It, I remember that that happened, and I was a little pissed off, because I, I had read the first Damage Control series by that point, and I thought it was great. And I hadn't checked out uh, until, actually, literally just a couple of days ago, hadn't checked out the second one, which, interesting enough, is an act of, act of vengeance crossover. Yeah, I remember that. Because <laughs> they, they were dealing... They're dealing with the Wrecking Crew, even though they're not superheroes and they don't really fight anybody. Although there is a great bit uh, at the end of it uh, where they are they get a building because they made a good amount of money, but it's you know they can't really afford it, so they end up selling it, and it's got a huge DC on the top, <laughs> and they end up selling it to. Uh, a company that uh, had a very successful movie out that summer. <laughs> so, very rarely, uh, very rarely do you get uh, the two companies praising each other. I mean, there's always been the, you know, Stanley, the uh, distinguished competition stuff. Yeah. But a, an issue of a Marvel comic that directly says, you know, good job, you guys. You, you guys did very well this summer. But yeah, I, I strongly recommend Damage Control because that's a that's a hell of a series. Although I kind of regret that there's like one more mini series, and then there was like a one years later when they uh, had uh, the World War Hulk series uh-huh. that that they brought it back briefly. But it's like it, it feels like really it's a strong enough concept to keep around more than just sporadic uh, pop-ins. Like hell, Bendis. Brian Michael Bennis would have written a hell of a series for Yeah, this. yeah, definitely. He was great with dialogue. Yeah, so check them out. They're, they're really good. Uh, let's see. Atlantis Attacks. Boring. I read that graphic novel, and I did not like it. Yeah, it's a, another crossover. Uh, took took place in a variety of annuals and some standalones. Uh, there's, always, of... there's always two major events, and one was always an X-Men, and one was more Avengers-oriented, and this is the more Avengers-oriented one. Yeah, although it did did cross into the X titles a bit, uh, but yeah, basically these underwater empires attempt to resurrect an 
the Elder God set. They reforged this, uh, the magical serpent crown. You know, they kidnapped some superheroines and some adjacent women to be the brides of the serpent and try to turn humanity to serpent people. And Yeah, this is the reinjection basically for Submariner as a hero who would get his, his series the next year. Yeah, and that that's about it. I mean, it's not... Atlantis never attacks in the series, really. <laughs> it's it's a very misleading title, and yeah, it just that's what it was. One something something better that happened is John Byrne's Sensational Sea Hulk. Yes, this is John. Byrne. What happened to John Byrne? I was just thinking about this yesterday. He was everywhere for so many decades, and then he wandered off to do his own thing with Next Men, and I haven't heard from him since. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. But, oh my god, this... Byrne gave us Deadpool years before Deadpool ever was. The fourth, you know, fourth wall breaking, wisecracking... Yeah. Of the like, she is constantly breaking the fourth wall, all the story, uh, storytelling conventions. Like, the, one of the best gags has uh, She-Hulk ripping through... She's trying to escape uh, Dr. Bomb. So she rips through the page... And runs through the ad on the other side. <laughs> remember, remember when they'd have those ads for like, oh yeah, you know, here's this mail order company. Yeah, or Tops or old, something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you can buy all these old comics. Literally, it's a page with just bullshit comic labels, you know, names and stuff like that, that she's running through. It's such a, you know, an extremely clever joke. I think there's also one of my favorite panels where she has to get dressed at one point. So, it ends up being like an entire, you know, white you know the panels are like just segmented above and below so you like the her head and then maybe her legs and her naked body is covered is effectively is covered up by a white panel and it's just like this is this is a code approved book right okay well you need to do something because i gotta get take a shower before and get dressed before i can go to this place so it's just this page or two pages of this segmented thing it's amazing yeah. and it's so weird because john Byrne is not known for being funny that's the weirdest thing yeah, and he does a very good job with this because it is it's probably one of the best things. It's also probably the you know cheesecakey sexiest that uh, She-Hulk has actually ever been. Yeah, because he draws some sexy ladies. And I'm trying to think his run. Um, I'm trying to remember. It started on Iron Fist, and then he moved over to I want to say Fantastic Four. He did Avengers. He did Captain America. Um, Something else in there I'm forgetting. He did X-Men, of course, for a very long time. He did uh, the reboot of Wonder Woman and Superman. I think this is when he finally came back after doing those two. And, and he had done this and Submariner. And like I said, he was just the hottest of hot and then just vamoose. And it's so strange. I mean, he just got tired of it. Yeah, it's it's a shame because if I, – I have to look up some more of his uh, – I would have to say later stuff because – this is this is a lot of fun, and it's like I know I've read some of his X Men work. I've he's not known for comedy, which is why this is so yeah. surprising. Yeah, and like this it's just it's a brilliant bit. It's kind of a shame that there's a like big break in between his run. It's like I think it's like the first eight or nine issues, something like that, and then it you know his his run jumps back into like issue thirty. It's something it's something weird like that where it's just you know. He had it for a little while, and then I know there's some issues with uh, the guy who did Howard the Duck. He he jumps in for a little bit, and then there's some other ones that I haven't read. But you know, it it's weird that it's segmented like that. But it's it's one of those things where he 
definitely knew that the books the book wasn't uh, selling well, so he's constantly coming up or, and on the covers. It's always the joke. They're, you know, She Hulk is talking with him about how can we you know sell you know sell more issues. Okay, well, you know, am I going to have to uh, you know jump rope naked? It's like, uh, all right, John, we'll do that. You have to build an account to see what he's working on now. He has a website called Burn Robotics. I forgot he did the initial run of uh, Alpha Flight as well. Oh yes, that's right. Because there is a comment about uh, about that where they do effectively the same. Uh, one of the issues of Alpha Flight hat is effectively it's a fight in a snowstorm, but there's dial and there's like dialogue boxes and stuff. And they do. He does something similar in She Hulk, and she bitches to him about doing it. He was born in Alberta, and that's his home. So it makes sense why he was uh, creating, why he created uh, Alpha Flight, yeah, co-created, I, I should say. And I've been reading uh, a good chunk of the Alpha Flight stuff, and I like a good, good bunch of it. But anyway, uh, what if Volume Two made its debut? Yay! The one that I know really well compared to the first. Yeah, yeah, I, I know this run a lot more than I know the originals, although I been collecting the uh, the original runs lately but yeah you know it's alternate versions of marvel stories different takes on the characters you know interesting things like what if punisher was possessed by venom what if the hulk killed wolverine in their first fights what if in one of my favorite ones what if rogue had the power of thor it's like which know. she almost had. Have you ever read that comic, Avengers Annual Number Ten, where she I fights? Did. Oh my god, that's what's fucking and that's, amazing. And that's actually, and that is actually the whole the whole point of that story is just kind of going instead of you know after taking out Captain Marvel, uh, but not draining her. It's she drains you know drains Thor completely, and becomes and effectively becomes Thor. Uh, kind of, does kind of make me wonder though if. Uh, if Thor was as annoying as Carol Danvers was in Rogue's brain. I'm looking here real quickly. John Byrne really hasn't worked much in the last decade. He kind of ended it at IDW by doing the Angel miniseries, Jurassic Park miniseries, and his own creative thing called Trio and the Highways. And brought Next Men back for one year. Uh, well, I mean, he's, he's living his best life, I hope. Well, he is probably about 75, so I guess he can retire. <laughs> Let's see. What else we got? Oh, West Coast Avengers issues 45 and 46. Okay. In issue 45, we're introduced to the emotionless white version of Vision. And basically, a few issues back, uh, Vision uh, goes crazy and tries to take over the world. It ends up with him getting, you know, he gets beaten, disassembled, and deleted. And so in getting resurrected, he's now this, you know, he's a blank blank version of himself. Mm. And the thing, the, the key to, to giving him his personality back is Wonder Man's brain pattern. Because that's kind of how, that's partially how he was, you know, created in the beginning. Right. And Wonder Man decides... You know what? Now that stuff is kind of how I became a, a villain in the first place, with people messing with my head. And you want to mess with my head, I ain't down for that. And so, at this point, the uh, 
Vision is now going to be an emotionless dick and not recognize the fact that he and Wanda have children or do they because that's that's a plot point that uh, gets confusing and terrible pretty <laughs> for a very long time but uh, in issue 46 the greatest superhero team of all time debuts the Great Lakes Avengers <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring up earlier that they introduced uh, Justice League Antarctica around this time. <laughs> it seems like both both companies were thinking goofball characters. Yeah, it now this doesn't have Squirrel Girl in it at the time. No, no. Flatman. Yeah, Flatman, Mr. Immortal, who I did not realize cuz I read I did read that issue. Uh I did not realize how big of a dick he was in the like in the debut. Like he is insufferable yep. like i i'm kind of glad that that they kind of shaved off a little bit of those those edges a little bit over time because I, I don't know i yeah but you have big bertha who's a supermodel by day and super obese hero by night you have doorman who can make portals and you have dinosaur <laughs> who's, who's a dinosaur woman and she can fly and yeah, okay. They're it's a bunch of trash characters. They really really suck. Yeah. But at this point, Hawkeye had quit the Avengers because uh, okay, uh, West Coast Avengers anyway. He quits because uh, U.S. Agent comes in and decides that he's going to be uh, the leader now. So he and Mockingbird had shown up like, oh, I'm back, guys. And he's like, you know, they they both uh, fuck off and uh, end up you know, coming across these uh, bullshit characters and decide to uh, train them into actually being worthwhile. And let's be honest, it did not work. No, but it, it keeps coming back, like, every few years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think um, even Deadpool joined their team for an issue or something like that, and he was like, you guys are ridiculous, and I know that I am ridiculous. Yeah, well, he yeah, he basically just kind of crashes at their at their pad doesn't doesn't necessarily join them just kind of says i'm now part of your team because i want a place to stay right uh let's see there was a uh nick fury agent of shield series that started and i read the lead into this which i wasn't all that big on because uh they did this uh nick fury versus shield right yeah I, I couldn't get into it, but I was reading some of the 60s Nick Fury stuff, uh-huh. and I really want to like a Nick Fury series. So I'm going to give this one a shot a little bit later, but uh, yeah, have you checked out any of any of his, uh, any of this series? No, I have not. Damn. Sorry. So, Alright, well, how... How well versed are you in uh, Marvel's new universe? Um, you know, I read uh, Spitfire. That's the only one that I read, the one that was kind of like Iron Man. Okay. Uh, well, apparently, I, I haven't read this. I have read the attempt to bring it back when they tried to relaunch it. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, from my stand, new universe sucked. And they ended up uh, capping it off in 89 with The War which uh, basically was like a big 
war, and uh, I guess everybody died or something. I didn't have, I could have read more about it, but it was U- New Universe, and I don't think it had a big fan base. Yeah, it's, uh, no, I read Starbrand later, um, but at the time I only read Spitfire and the Troublemakers. Um, Try to remember all of them. There was Strike Force, Mor- Moritari, I think was one of them, or something. The one guy, well, he was like a Punisher robot. Every, all the characters were just knockoffs of someone that was popular you know like you know like starbrand was like quasar um and they just wanted their whole new universe obviously because of the name but um you know where they weren't tied down to continuity and it just didn't work yeah and that's always been the problem with trying to start with new things hell even ultimate the ultimate marvel stuff where it's okay we have a brand new world no continuity you have to worry about and then, as you start writing stories, you start having to build continuity. Yeah, and it's just a and pain you, yes. And in some cases, having to build, you know, your whole history now. And that's always we're starting this stuff. You can't start it up, you know, truly at square one. It mm-hmm. never works. Uh, but the last few things, I'll just uh, read off a couple of quick, quick little things. Two uh, villains debuted. The Ghost Rider villain, Blackheart actually debuted in daredevil 270 the uh, assassin crossbones ended up in uh captain america two, uh, 359 and then there was a couple of new series that i never really paid too much attention to but uh quasar you mentioned the monica rambo captain marvel series and mark specter moon knight oh yeah i don't remember the captain marvel one but i definitely remember reading uh the the moon knight and uh the quasar is actually really good um no one ever mentions it, but it's it's really solid. I I have yet to get into the Marvel, uh, you know, space stuff. Yeah. With the exception of the more recent, uh, well, I don't think more recent, like starting off with uh, Bendis's run on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's that's only like some of those series I've been able to do, but uh, trying to go back has hasn't really worked for me the uh the annihilation series is where i i started caring about the space stuff yeah that's that one i can imagine being a huge headache of a of a storyline eh, a bit but i i was already kind of knowledgeable on what was going on with them anyway so i kind of knew what to expect but it's you know with stuff like the infinity gauntlet uh crossover then you had like i that one was fine and then I read, tried to read uh, Infinity War, and that was incomprehensible. <laughs> well. Like I, I just could not, I could not understand it. And it's like, oh, but you're also going to have to read four other series along with it, because even though it's, we're going to make sure that important events don't just happen in here, but you have to read, you know, uh, Warlock and the Infinity Crusade, and then you have to read this one panel in, I don't know, like actually alpha flight <laughs> or something you know it's like oh by the way this is important but we're not going to tell you that unless you actually go and read it or look up a wikipedia entry but uh yeah it's like i there's some of these things i've been uh since i got marvel unlimited i've been popping up some of these things to check out so yeah it's nice that you can check stuff out there for a lot cheaper yeah it's definitely definitely worth my investment uh, what do we have time to get into? Uh, not indie, but uh, a little, little bit of Japanese stuff. Sure, go ahead. I don't care. It's fine. Okay, got two little things. One, 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but because uh, it's tangentially comics. Uh, Dragon Ball Z left off the pages of Shonen Jump and onto TVs. You know, it's the biggest anime series of all time. Or not, yeah, I guess it is the biggest. I dug it when I saw it in high school, but, you know, around that time is when it also started making its way overseas to here. And once other people started to like it, it really lost its appeal because the people who started to like it were kind of douchebaggy. <laughs> and, and let's be honest, there's, there's a lot of nice people who like DBZ. There's also a lot of uh, milady types. You know, fedora-wearing, neckbeard motherfuckers. And, <laughs> I didn't know what you were talking about at first. I was like, lady, what are you talking about, weirdo? Yeah, these, uh... There, there's a lot of people who will... Who truly seem to love this series and are, like, the biggest fucking asshats. So, I... It was fun while it lasted. But, uh... Now, this one is a little bit sad, but, uh... In 89, Osamu uh, Tezuka died. He's the fa- basically the father of manga. Uh-huh. He was the creator of Astro Boy. You know, it's also the series Blackjack and a lot of other things. But it's like, while Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli have been called the Disney of Japan, really, if you're going to compare anyone to Walt Disney, it is Tezuka. He did, you know, so much family-friendly stuff that when it got animated, you know, we still kind of know. Like, like I said, Astro Boy is still fairly recognizable. Uh, you might recognize Kimba the White Lion, the story that was kind of uh, stolen parts of uh, and brought into The Lion King. It's He doesn't have a, a huge you know, thing of works, but he's got works that basically went you know for decades. Like uh, the one thing that he felt was his life's work was a series called uh, The Phoenix, which basically went unfinished because he died. Oh, jeez. Yeah, well, I mean, it started in, like, the 50s. And it, oh, okay. It, so he... There are 12 volumes of this thing. I've read a little bit of it when I was working at Beat Alton. I don't recall liking it. But I do also know, like, I'm... With, like, a 90%, 80 to 90% certainty that... The film adaption of one of those volumes called Phoenix Two Seven Seven Two. I'm pretty sure I've seen that. It's one, of, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I looked up, you know, I'm looking up on Wikipedia, reading the thing, going, that sounds so familiar, but it's very space oriented, and I don't have it written down, so I can't tell you what it is. But yeah, this is a guy who basically in Japan pioneered a lot of, you know a lot of what you know what we recognize now mm-hmm. and it's definitely worth you know, again giving him his props because there's very there are very few masters that people can point out in anime and he's definitely one of them is that's that it? it that is it for me alright so that's the end of this episode check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind and we'll be back soon sometime with 1990 i said soon forgetting that i want to kind of take some time off so (laughs) i said i won't start again until january but i know myself well enough to know that i won't be able to sit still for very long so we'll probably be back in like october or something yeah some time off is better than uh not taking it and getting burned out yeah all right so that is it have a good night later guys